We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Aikman is intercepted by Sam Mills. Steve oh! Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. Newton steps up close to the end zone. Olsen, touchdown! Brian Burns to the house! This one is picked again. Intercepted by Boston. Bridgewater throw into the end zone. Touchdown! Samuel still on his feet inside the five to the end zone. Touchdown! What a play! And it is caught for the touchdown by Moore. And in the foot race, McCaffrey to the end zone. Keep pounding on three. One, two, three. Keep pounding. All right, Carolina Panthers fans, we are back with a season-ending edition. Of course, the season never stops, but the official season is over. Season-ending edition of the Roar Podcast right here on Blue Wire. It's John Ellis, my good friend and film guru, uh, the expert of all things football. Billy Marshall is by my side here. How you doing, bud? Yeah, pretty good. Um, Season went by in a flash. I feel like it was yesterday when we were – previewing the Las Vegas Raiders. Yeah, no kidding, right? And even, you know, way back in the summer when we were doing just general previews coming into the season, that seems like yesterday. And this was uh, just a strange, bizarre, kind of fun at times and disappointing at times season for this Carolina Panthers team under Matt Rule. Uh, We're going to dive into the sort of the season review and a little glimpse at what we expect moving forward. But uh, the, the last game of the year here against the Saints, Billy, I guess we can just dive right into it. It was a very disappointing loss on many levels, 33-7. to They were outscored 17-0 second half. Uh, the team, uh, to me, just did, did not look up to the standard that they had in some of these close competitive games against teams like New Orleans earlier in the year, Kansas City. Um, and, and honestly, they just looked a little flat. And uh, sometimes when you're Worn down by the end of the year, especially defensively, you kind of saw in the later part of the game here, some of these young guys were just a little worn down, I think. But uh, the story, again, is the quarterback and the offense. But there's a lot to talk about. Billy, just your general impressions of what we saw yesterday as Carolina closes out at 5-11 uh, and 11 for the second straight year. Well, Drew Brees isn't Dwayne Haskins, right? <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> very, no, very well played. He- <laughs> well, well it, it makes a difference your competition level no question man yeah no no doubt and you and i were discussing this um you know privately 
over the weekend when we heard the news that Kamara and Latavius Murray and uh, some of their other running backs were ineligible to play. Yeah. We just felt like this team, I mean, you got beat in the mouth by them last year. Yeah. Now I know it was a totally different coaching staff, totally different regime, totally different quarterback, all this stuff. But I mean, you, you gotta, I mean, the previous week against Washington, you played with really good effort. And this week, I'm not going to question the effort of the players, but I do think at times you could see um, some players just realizing it. Okay. When is my vacation to Cancun or <laughs> Cabo? And I don't blame them for that. It's just the way it is. And you know, they, they kept it close. You got to give them, that was only 16, seven at halftime. Right. Yeah. And unfortunately you had the turnovers and I'm sure we'll get to them. That oh, was just, man. that killed the team. Killed it. I, I mean, you, there's really nothing else to say about this game besides that. I, I, I mean, we can go into each individual position group like we've done all season, but yeah. I, I just feel like that's missing the point because they were competitive with the Saints at halftime. Right. And if they were able to, you know, if their quarterback was able to execute in the first half, then maybe we're talking about a different result, but a unfortunately different, different type of ball game here. Yeah. And I think, you know, you and I drove this point home, you, you a lot more affirmative than, than, than I. Um, but I think we both were on the same page that it was worth winning this game. The discussion about tanking, we were past that. The idea here was if, look, if, if the idea is to commit to winning late and you have the talent to do it, obviously to compete, you've shown it, go ahead and get your win against the saints, get yourself reestablished as an NFC South, uh, respectable team, uh, but once again, the the Panthers are, are exiting the season with one win in the division, and that was against a, a pretty lousy Atlanta team at the time without Julio Jones. So I I find it disappointing. Again, we don't we don't have to go position by position. We'll, we'll kind of give some focus to the important positions here, and we're going to start with the quarterback again because you know, look, I know folks are, are, are I don't some folks aren't tired of hearing about it. Folks are a little obsessed over it right now. Because it has gotten to a point, as you had clearly stated, Billy, and I was right there with you with my film study, there was a regression from that Minnesota game on. And it was interesting to hear Matt Rule talking about in his presser today that, you know, the injury in the Tampa game, uh, I guess in the second half, was somewhat of a contributor in his eyes to that decline of play. Matt, Matt, I don't want to say sent mixed signals, but Matt was very – they're vocal and direct about how he feels about Teddy. At one point, he's saying, you know, we believe in him. Uh, we, we like what he brings to the table. He did a lot of good things. But he was also very clear, and I like this, that he was not getting the job done, particularly situationally late. And he's got a big offseason in front of him uh, in, in terms of what Matt Rule said. So I guess I'll just get your thoughts once again about the, the situation with Bridgewater. Do you, do you think he was really healthy down the stretch? It doesn't seem like – there was I mean, anything being reported to the media in terms of, I know he had the one injury there uh, in the season, but even yesterday his ankles wrapped and I'm hearing from reporters, nothing was reported from the team to the media on that. So I'm just a, a bit of a mystery there for me. What do you think really led to this decline for Teddy? Yeah, no, I, I don't know. I don't know about the injury situation. I mean, if it was an injury, then he would be put on the injury report. Right. And, and I think we also need to, um, you know, give up on the idea that quarterbacks are going to be healthy 16 games a season. Sure. Uh, that, that's just not going to happen with any quarterback. I mean, I'm looking at the best quarterbacks in the NFL. I mean, Josh Allen, he takes a lot of hits. Yeah. Um, you know, Mahomes takes quite a few hits, and he was limping a few times. I saw him a couple weeks ago. 
Right. Um, so th- the idea that a quarterback is just going to, you know, p- play through you know, these sort of injuries is, it just doesn't, I mean, look on the other side of the field, Drew Brees is playing at 40 years old with <laughs> cracked ribs. 11 broken and, ribs. <laughs> and I mean, look, but he's two playing nights like before he's playing, he's, the he's, Sugar Bowl. To the point he's playing good football. In the Sugar I mean, Bowl, two yeah, Sugar Bowl. Yeah, yeah. And, and then in the Sugar Bowl two nights before, Justin Fields, you know, he cracks his ribs on a nasty oh, yeah. hit, then he has a game of his life. Oh, I covered so, I don't like, You don't have to remind me about that. We, the Clemson uh, folks I work with were, were astonished not only at, the, at what happened with Brent Venable's defense, but just how tough and, and, and courageous to a certain degree Justin Fields was in that game, his best game of the year by far against an elite opponent, and he's hurt. So to your yeah. point, yeah, quarterbacks have to play hurt. That's part of the game. And I'm not saying I'm not questioning his toughness or any of that stuff. I, I think he's doing the best he can, but I think this just speaks to the level of um, physical limitations that uh, inhibit Bridgewater from becoming a franchise quarterback. Yeah. And yeah, we pointed out the limitations with his arm strength and um, some of the other things he can do. He, I mean, I think he impressed both of us with his ability to scramble and pick up yards but you know as far as the other stuff it, you, you know i'm not demanding a quarterback go out there and you know play through like a torn acl or something but yeah. just regular like knocks and bruises especially ones that i feel like they aren't important because the media because the team isn't reporting it now if the team isn't if they're hiding it then that's a clear violation and they're going to be docked like Right. Maybe even a first-round draft pick. So I don't think they're that dumb. Be clear, they're not I have that no dumb idea. To be clear, I've got no confirmation they're trying to hide anything. I just know several reporters that we respect a lot were tweeting last night that nothing was ever – and I even asked one of them directly, and they said, no, we never got any sort of confirmation from the team that hurt yeah. him. He's got his ankle wrapped. He's out of the game. And so you started to wonder, okay, that's usually something they relay to the media – just informationally, I I don't get that, but I mean I'm not thinking it's egregious. Yeah, and, and, it's oversight, maybe. And, and, and to um, and to defend Bridgewater, he did take some hits early in the game where maybe sure. you could have potentially saw something that could have uh, you know was an issue. But who knows? I mean, players at the end of the day, you know, when I was playing soccer and going into a tournament, playing three days, three games a day. You know, I would always ice myself up at the end. That that wasn't necessarily because of injury. It's just because of soreness, and yeah. you want your muscles, you know, healed. So yeah. to me, it's just it's a larger conversation, and we spoke about it last week about the regression of him, and we saw it happen in on full display on Sunday. And this isn't to say that PJ Walker or Tommy Stevens or Will Greer are the answers. They're not. Oh, they're and not. yes, those guys, especially PJ Walker, he didn't have the greatest of games, but there's a difference. Walker gets paid less than a million dollars. If even that, and Teddy Bridgewater gets paid how much? Close to 23? 33 million guaranteed and he's got a heavy cap hit next year, which is my 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 point on this and we're going to get to next year in a minute here, but but, but to be honest, the contract is prohibitive enough to where, you know, if they didn't like what they saw in this one-year kind of trial, you got to remember, it really wasn't a one-year trial. It was a two-year trial. And they're sort of stuck in that position right now, unless they can find a trade partner. I know Stephen Ruiz joked about it last night, but it, with his decline in value here of late, I just don't see anybody taking the bait on that for anything worth trading for. Yeah, no, I, I don't think that's um, going to happen. I think teams are becoming a lot more smart about this, but I do want to ask you this question. Sure. Um, you know, we've been speaking about the negatives and 
you know, this season has provided plenty of positives as well. If you were to go back throughout the season and pick a player or position or just a narrative that's a stock rising for you, what would that be? Well, I, I think obviously, you know, I'm going to point out a couple of people who we, we clearly know are good players. Curtis Samuel, what he's been able to do from a totality perspective, not only, you know, fitting into the running game as a back, showing he can consistently tote the rock situationally, but also just seeing him staying relatively healthy throughout the year. And despite the quarterback challenges there are, he's making life easy on this quarterback as he did with Kyle Allen in a lot of ways last year in terms of getting open. It was a play last night, one of Bridgewater's best throws was a little, uh, you know, over route over the middle. And it said the minute he hits the DB, He's got him turned around. Curtis has got four yards of separation. Bridgewater rockets one in there, one of his best throws of the night. So to to be fair, Curtis is a guy who obviously they're going to have to make a decision on. Um, I think you look sort of at at the the middle of the pack guys. I know defensively they had talked about F.A. Obata, you know, being a guy they might not want to keep around. In fact, they cut him at one point, brought him back. And I thought they've done some really good things in terms of getting him involved situationally, especially at the three technique. I like what Phil Snow's doing, playing him inside. He's getting a nice push there. He's been a good complimentary piece with Brian Burns on the other side. And I think Marcus Haynes as well. I've liked what he's done. Four sacks, some impact sacks too, in terms of situational stuff, getting some turnovers off those sacks. I've been impressed. And obviously, you know, I I think if you look back at the offense once again, um, I, I don't know what to make of the offensive line, Billy. I just don't. I know Chris Reed had a hell of a game yesterday in the run game. He was amazing. He was he was mauling people. But in terms of pass protection, once again, just not really a solidified guard there in terms of pass pro, in my opinion. So those are a few guys I look at and say, you know, they've got potential to to be core guys moving forward. I really do think. Yeah, for me, I would say my stock rising, um, and we've been critical of them throughout the year. Uh, but I would say Phil Snow and Joe Brady, um, sure. they've proven that they can coach at this level. Right. And you and I, you know, when we were doing those preseason podcasts, um, a few of our big questions was uh, how would this relatively untested college crew be able to transition to the NFL? And I think right. that um, those two have proven that they can coach. Now it's up yeah. to the ability of, uh, the personnel team and the head coach to uh, pick the players for them so they can continue to grow moving forward. Now for all, again, we know that they are not perfect and they aren't. Um, but at the end of the day, I think when you have uh, two coordinators um, that can show that, you know, they can adjust and they can uh, play with the best of them, as we saw with, I mean, if you read that Doug Farrar piece that you pointed out to yeah. about how, Phil Snow was able to confuse Aaron Rodgers, yeah. most likely the MVP, one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game. Sure. That to me tells me that he belongs. And obviously Brady has done a good job from a schematic standpoint this year. So uh, credit to the head coach for that. Um, I'm sure we'll grade those coaches later in the show. Uh, but for me, those were my stock risings. And now, uh, you know, personnel wise, I'm sure we'll do a season review on those later uh, in the month or whatever. But for me, I would say that, it's encouraging that they have those two coaches um, so they can continue to build. Well, let me ask, let me ask you this on that note. I know the Phil Snow side, we'll start with that because I want to pick your brain about Joe Brady in a minute here, but I think Phil has done some things that has quieted down the, the mob there. 
Um, you know, some of the core stats here, I know there's some, some deeper analytical stats here that, that you're more keen to here, but I'm just looking at core stuff here. You know, I know they gave up a record number of first downs this year for a franchise. I get that. A lot of that, I think, was front-loaded. But in terms of total defense, yardage, points allowed, of course, a lot of that can be skewed based on the offense's performance. Uh, they, they ranked 18th in both categories. They were 10th in the league in turnovers forced with 22. Uh, a lot of it was fumbles. They did a great job uh, ripping and stripping and, and getting on that ball. Some of those came from sacks. Uh, and I, I think really defensively, they grew as the season went on. Yesterday, I don't, you know, it was disappointing the second half, but I really think they kept them in that game early on. It was just the turnovers that, that spiraled and that lack of complimentary football just uh, got out of hand for Carolina. So that, that's kind of my thought on Phil. I like what he's doing now late in the season. He's running some good blitz schemes, good pressure schemes, did some nice double-A gap mugging stuff with Chin uh, and uh, Shaq there, getting Boston off the edge. So some of the pressure stuff lately has been very good, and the takeaways yeah. have been coming in bunches. Uh, but, but about Joe Brady, you know, there's been some conversations about Joe. Um, and part, there's two elements to being a good OC, I think. I think the most important element is obviously designing good schemes calling good plays situationally, understanding how to flow a game. But, but there's also the component of how you plan and organize situationally with clock management, how you get your guys ready in terms of being prepared in red zone opportunities. And as well for, for Joe, being a part of the committee that was very adamant about this quarterback being a very smooth operator side by side with him. Now, the injury thing, I don't know what to make of that yet, so I'm trying to be very fair about Teddy here. But let's just face it, 16 touchdowns, 16 picks for the entire team this year. That's including P.J. I expected more production from the offense this year, scoring-wise. The red zone stuff has just been brutal, Bill. You look back, Elena Getzenberg posted this today. Bridgewater's last five games of the year, and this speaks to Matt Rule's comments, 6 of 17 in the red zone, that's 35%, 32 yards, one touchdown, three picks. He had the two rushing touchdowns as well, so those count. So three touchdowns, three turnovers. And, of course, he's been fumbling the ball a lot lately, too. So I, I just think in the from 20 to 20, Billy, I think Joe's done some really good things scheming this offense up, given the McCaffrey's out and the O-line is a little bit stinky at times. Uh, I just think this quarterback uh, – and the quarterbacks in general, including P.J. Walker in the red zone, have really let this offense down at times. Yeah, no, that's certainly true. And th I mean, this isn't a criticism of the coordinator because when you have – when the field is condensed once you're in the red zone, it, defenses play much tighter. The throwing windows close. That's why it's so important to have a QB who has the arm strength who can fit in into tight right. windows. Exactly. He can you know, manipulate coverage very quickly, and he's able to quickly just rip the ball. Right. We saw Cam Newton do that uh, when he was in his prime. prime so yeah. for me, it's not necessarily – you can't – it just, I just, I can't for the life of me understand the criticism with Brady there because it's very difficult unless you're Kyle Shanahan or Sean McVay to just consistently scheme up open receivers in this part of the right. field. And that's even they understand that their quarterbacks eventually have to make a throw every now and then. Sometimes that's where you see a lot of the issues with Goff and Garoppolo. So for me, I am encouraged by what I saw, but I understand that for this offense to not only evolve but also 
take a step forward. I mean, McCaffrey will certainly help in the red zone. I don't think there's any doubt about that. You saw the game against Kansas City when um, you know Brady was able to scheme up that fourth down play action pass McCaffrey for the touchdown. Oh, that was a beautiful play, yeah. Yeah, and then you saw the touchdown against Tampa that he had um, right. week two. So, yeah, I, I think that if the quarterback just – he really has to pull the trigger in that part of the field. Um, and, you know, for me, if, if they can upgrade that position – somehow this offseason with a guy who really, you know, understands how to just whoever, whoever has some type of arm strength, uh, that would be encouraging. Well, I just, you know, again, I, I, I like to make these comps in terms of one team to another and not necessarily in terms of scheme or structure, just in terms of overall balance, offense versus defense. And I really thought this would feel a lot like, and you had mentioned, I think, the 2011 Panthers. I went all the way back to the old days to the 99 Panthers because their defensive rankings were atrocious everywhere across the board. They couldn't stop anybody. That defense was old in a lot of spots. They were slow. It was a bad John Marshall defense. And I think what they did offensively was tremendous. They had, just like this year, 2,000-yard guys. But the difference was Burline threw for 16 touch, or, uh, 36 touchdowns. They were able to capitalize in the red zone. And I think Burline at that point in his career had the velocity and had the, the anticipation skills that, honestly, the, the velocity thing is one thing, Billy, but the, the one thing I think we had expected a, a better job of from Bridgewater was anticipation, what was timing, was reading – coverages and I, I, I agree especially in the, in the red zone what we saw yesterday both interceptions were an indictment on those areas yeah I, I totally agree with you it, it was it, it wasn't fun to watch no it was not um I mean both and even, of them, you know the, the week prior you know Matt Rowe was very proud about their win in Washington then he should be that's fine but the offense should had 80 81 yards I think in the second half and Bridgewater had talked about a complete game well you know honestly <laughs> it was far from that and Bridgewater's uh inefficiency was part of that. So I think my, my biggest frustration about Teddy, we knew what we were getting. We talked about the film study and what we looked at and from talking to guys uh, around the Minnesota market who knew him well and even the Saints market, that you were getting somebody who needed to be a little bit well insulated by that around him in order to get things done. And unfortunately, he was well insulated by some really good receivers, but the protection was inconsistent at times. The schemes were good, but they just didn't have good interior blocking at times. The left tackle situation was always up and down. Moten had a solid year. But then also, you, you take McCaffrey out of the mix. You're left with Mike Davis, who's not quite as versatile. He had injury issues, too. And at the end of the day, you know, offensively, you just have to be as good as you have been between the 20s when you get inside the 20s. And to your point, that comes down to velocity, anticipation, and those are two things Teddy did a poor job of this year. One thing I will say, even in the run game, I, I've been impressed with how Mike Davis has played. But in the red zone, um, his style of running where he's jump cutting every other second, that, that's not going to fly. Right. Because, again, linebackers and defensive ends, they don't really have to cover that much ground. When you, when you do that you know, from your own 40-yard line, yeah. and you can jump cut and you know, run 20, 30 yards on the field, that works. But in that sort of area, you have to be decisive. You have to read the linebackers and hit your hole very quickly. Um, I mean, we've seen all these videos with run fits that our good friend Betts posts. Um, yeah. <laughs> it gets very, very condensed in that sort of the field. You have to be decisive, and that just goes for not just for quarterbacks, but running backs too. Well, what, what, what granted them the, the win in Washington, I firmly believe, was the, 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 the bunches of turnovers. They had four takeaways, which is the, the most they've collected all year, I believe. And in the two games that bookended that, no takeaways uh, against Green Bay. Of course, they played very good, don't get me wrong. 
but they didn't get the ball out of the, the, the hands of the Packers. And then the Saints just played one of the cleanest games you're going to see a team play in terms of balance. And, you know, Sean Payton, you know, we've talked about this over the years. He, he's, a, he's a vertically oriented guy. He designs some really good concepts, and Drew runs them to perfection when he's on his game. But Sean is a Bill Parcells disciple, and he is all about running that ball, four-minute offense when it's necessary. And even with Ty Montgomery, they just got their horses out there and, and mauled people, and Ty got a few big runs there. And over the last three weeks, Carolina's run defense has taken a step back after having a very good uh, you know, performance against Dalvin Cook and company. So that's a bit of a concern, too. But that's, again, I think to, you know, Trey Boston spoke to the media today, and he made a fair point about when you, you play this many young guys, this many snaps through the year, eventually you're just going to run into these problems, and it's not to be unexpected. Um, I, I just think they – it was a kind of – yesterday was a wake-up call, I think, in a lot of ways. This team was not coming into this game with a half-assed mentality. They were coming off a win. They were obviously with, with a lot of incentive to, to finish strong. It wasn't a tank job by any means. What we saw last night against, you know, the you know, Eagles. And- I mean, they had, what, 370 yards of offense? Who's that now? Carolina. Like, they had quite yes, a bit. Yeah, they had 340, yeah, 345 total. I mean, that's uh, – yeah, I mean, they uh, – let me check that again. Yeah, yeah they were up there. They're, they're, they were up there in that range. So, I mean, it's 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 – <laughs> I don't know, man. I just think yeah, that it, for me, yeah, no, I, I think you're totally right. This was nothing. This was they just got their ass kicked. We'll, we'll, we'll just keep it simple. And and, and you, Sean you, is you, just Sean. Sean does this. I mean, this is we've seen this over the years with him. Especially he wasn't even, the Saints weren't even like you know running up the score, being gloating. I don't think they scored like a point after like the third quarter. They were just. Well, I mean, they had seven. They had seventeen in the the second half, but all but but so much of that was due to just turnover, sloppy play on yeah. offense. There wasn't. He didn't do anything egregious, like um, you know, call play action deep shots with Jameis with three minutes to go in the <laughs> he could fourth have. quarter. That would have been uh, entertaining, actually. Yeah, but but for me, it, it's just it's a consistency thing. If you're gonna call out. Um, you know, the fan, well, you're not calling out the fans, but if you're going to hold that press conference like you did last week, oh, yeah, sure, and you got to back it up. And for, for me, it, it just I, I did not see players prepared. Um, I, I saw just complete lackadaisical effort, and that starts with the quarterback. Well, I think your point's correct about Joe Brady. You've done, I, I know you're doing some work on, on the film study side on his schematics, and I, I can't wait to see some of the you know, the analysis there. And I, you know, on a very core level, I've done a week to week look at what he's running conceptually. And I, I have very little problem with that. I, I had a comment about the play call yesterday in fourth and one. I wasn't a fan of it. I don't think it was terrible. I just think, you know, you've got some options there that are probably a little sexier, a little more uh, favorable to get that yard. I didn't like just running your third string running back into a pile of garbage, but you know, hey, if it had worked, I'd been saying, hey, you know, good call. And it worked earlier in the game. So that, Yeah, that, that's that's for everyone who was coming in my mentions. Yeah. I told them, hey, that same play call worked. Well, I mean, but, moments earlier. you know, we and again, some people would argue that maybe the anticipation was there, they'd run it again. But then there's also the side of a coach that thinks, okay, they're going to counter off that and run a boot or a play action. So you got, it's just, it's winning your matchups. That's all it is. And I think that's what I agree. Added. Uh, the, the Eric Eager, uh, George, uh, whatever his last name for PFF, those guys. Uh, I like Eric a lot, by the way. I and mean, he's a friend of ours and we talk to him a lot. And then Lee Sharp posted something who you know real well. And, you know, I, I didn't take major issue with it. I just looked at it and said, you know what? 
the the idea here where you're going to fire Matt Rule and just kick Joe Brady in is a little bit of hyperbole. But to their credit, you know, I, I don't I haven't seen their play caller rankings metrics. I don't have access to it. I need to probably look into that. But they have him ranked as the top play caller in the league right now, and they do very good work. So I think it's worth looking at that and saying, okay, there's some stock in that. Uh, I, I think their biggest problem, again, is just in the trenches, they're inconsistent. The quarterback's inconsistent, and they have some great weapons. When you, when you ever have four guys with 1,000 total yards and, and you're you know, 20, what, 23rd in the league in scoring, you got to do better than that. And, and it's not hard to figure out where the problem is there. Yeah, I, I'm in full agreement with you. I think – Lee's take was more of just a discussion starting point as yeah. opposed to like a demand to Dave Tepper to do this. Uh, right. So again, I don't want to speak for him, but I don't want to speak. I, right. I, I, I look back. I, you know, he's, it was fine. He's, they're all they're, the PFF guys are trying to promote their brand and their product. And that's, that's part of hyping it up is getting some, some spicy takes out there that, uh, but you know, to their, their credit, they did, they, they, they look into this stuff. They watch the film. They do, great metrics and and a lot of people don't like their work because uh they they just feel like it's it's not indicative of true performance but i've always looked at pff as a good resource i can go in there get snap counts i can see some good core stats there that that i can rely on some of the the heavier metrics you know i'm not really into that i'm learning it but you know when i put on the tape i mean i just tell you every week joe's doing good creative things he's scheming things up he's kept this team in a lot of games in terms of what he does schematically um again you just got to execute man and that just i think matt rule was very clear today i appreciate the fact you know he's been kind of <laughs> he's all over the map at times billy with his commentary and his pressers but he was more measured <laughs> yeah, he, looked, today. he looked a lot more depressed today didn't he <laughs> i was gonna say I, I i was waiting on that because i i opened it up today and he, he looked like his cat had gotten stepped on he just he, he did not look happy and uh i i think I don't know. I, I, my style, I, Joe Person had commented last week about, do you, do you want your coach to be insightful or not? And I said, well, if I was a media guy, sure. But if I'm in that locker room, I don't know. He, he, had a, he was all over the map today at points about Bridgewater. At point, he talked about the injury being an issue, but he also said he's got to play a lot better. He's been a little disappointing in areas. So he covered the gamut. And he also made some other comments. He made a comment about Jermaine Carter I found weird. He uh, talked about you know Jermaine and I didn't have a really good relationship early in the year but then it got better so I was like, <laughs> that was weird what is that is that do is that why we were stuck with, we were stuck with Whitehead for eight weeks because of a beef I mean what the, what the hell <laughs> well, um, I, I mean you know look if if people say well you can't put stock into what the coach says don't worry about it it's just coach speak well then why are we even there covering these things so I mean you got to put some stock in what he's saying because there's some insight there I don't know um as a whole, with, with 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 year one, I mean, let's kind of look back at where they started. Ron Rivera was fired last year. His team was five and eleven. Of course, when he was fired, they were not five and eleven. And uh, Perry Fuel took over and, and and added to the loss total. Who knows where that team would have finished had Ron stuck it out? But Ron had plenty of chances to get things right. They constructed that defense last year in much of a rent-a-center fashion. It was a very much a rental veteran defense uh, with a lot of guys, honestly, we knew wouldn't be back. And I think a lot of people had a feeling that Luke might not be back. And lo and behold, he wasn't. And then Eric Reed's gone. Um, you've got Gerald McCoy, Bruce Irvin, Mario Addison, just an exodus of veteran core guys who honestly didn't play that great at times, but they were veteran guys. So I think as a whole – Funny seeing Vernon Butler and Mario Addison play out of their minds for Buffalo. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I mean, that might be coaching too there. I mean, look at this. I mean, Eric Washington is there now. So Eric Washington, Sean McDermott. I mean, you're talking about, you know, and, and McDermott was instrumental in getting Addison in the door with Brandon Bean way back in uh, 2012. That was a late season pickup. Yeah, and I, I, from, from what I've read and heard too, I think McDermott was also a pretty big fan of Vernon Butler coming out of that draft. Probably so, I would imagine. Hey everyone, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get started pushing your show out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month. The same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. How would you uh, look at the season as a whole? Again, it's a five-win season. I posted a metric yesterday about the plus-minus from one regime to the other, and that might not be completely fair because there was a five-win tally from last year. It's hard to improve plus four, plus five on a five-win team that was really, at the end of the year, playing below that record in a lot of ways. I also but, think those teams were much more talented than this one. Yeah, I mean, there, there's some truth in that. Did, did you feel this team w- was – let me just put it to you this way. Matt Rule made a comment today, and I, you, you've been very fair about this, and I think you've been a year three guy. Um, I, I'm, I'm on that fence too. You know, I, I think by year two you should be positioned – with what you have to be pushing for a wild card spot based on what you've been given offensively, what you've built offensively, defensively, you've got some young guys coming to their own. The staff will have another year of continuity, although we'll get to a possible staff change in a minute. But do you see year three as a target for playoff contention? Do you agree with Matt on that? Absolutely. Just look at some of the other rebuilding teams in recent memory. Cleveland, uh, 2017, they go 0 and 16. Three years later, they're in the playoffs. Um, San Francisco, 2017, new regime. Three years later, they're in the Super Bowl last year. Right. Uh, Detroit, when they went 0 16, drafted match staff for number one, 2009. Three years later, playoffs. Yeah. Uh, Ron Rivera, three years later after he was hired, they were in the playoffs. So sure. I, I think that three is like the maximum, but I also think that it's the most um, acceptable for a fan base. And I think you're, you're, you you want to see progress next year, whether it's with a rookie quarterback or it's um, with a new quarterback in general, wherever you find, uh, you, you have to show progress. And I, I think that um, for what they showed this year, I'm not going to call this year like a, a wash, but in some ways it is. And I think that they, you know, if I were to put a letter grade on some of the coaches uh, for Matt Rule, I would give him – I'm a tough grader, so I'll give Matt Rule a C plus, right. um, and and that's me speaking about uh, a lot of. They were prepared to play 
most games. Now we can have our quibbles about the two Tampa games and and yesterday, but for the most part, they were prepared and they they had the guys playing really hard. Uh, right. But at the end of the day, there were a lot of issues with this team. And um, and actually, I don't I don't want to say there were too many issues with this team. We'll leave the personal discussion out of it. I don't want to blame him for that. But I will say that on game days there were issues, whether it was game management, timeouts. Um, he did get better at fourth down decisions. Even uh, yesterday, the years. early on, yeah. even yesterday, early on with timeouts, there was an issue again. Yeah, exactly. So for me, I'm Matt Rule C plus Phil Snow, um, and th- this might seem a little harsh, but I think a C is acceptable for Phil. And the reason I say that is because, um, yes, I'm fully aware of um, a lot of the personnel issues which I have pointed at, and I believe that a lot of the people talking about him getting fired. Uh, were way too premature, uh, but I do think that some of the concepts that he introduced uh, early in this season um, were too easily exploited, uh, yeah. especially against uh, some offenses that are very explosive and like the Saints and whatnot. Uh, but he was able to adjust. He was able to uh, really develop these players on a more consistent basis. Uh, but at the end of the day, you're too tough to opponents within the division tampa new orleans uh i mean they they just produced all over the yard so that's something that he has to fix and then uh, joe brady i would give him probably a b um now i know there were the expectations were a little higher and and for me i thought the offense played uh pretty well i, I think that you have two 1000 yard receivers you, you're creating um you know a sort of offense that is a blend of college in NFL principles where you're forcing the team def- or excuse me, you're forcing defenses to you know defend the entire field. Um, you're without your star running back that I'm sure you had big plans for. And you're working with a guy who has limitations. Let's be clear. Um, so that's how I would probably grade how each of the coaches did. I mean, Chase Blackburn, I would probably give him a, a B minus or C plus, um, I'm still, I still get annoyed by Joey Sly missing these routine kicks. Uh, but yeah, Joseph Charlton, it's annoying. Charlton played out of his mind. Charlton played great in that, that yeah. Washington game and even down the stretch. And, you know, with Graham Gano and Harrison Butker both kicking great field goals this year. And just, I know Butker struggled with extra points, but on the field goal front, they were, each of them were money all year. And it's so frustrating. Yeah, I don't, I don't blame any of the coaches for those decisions. That's no, of course not. It's so, so, but, but that's how I would grade each of them. And uh, I, I think that, you know, if, if this team just continues to slowly, but surely, you know, find a new general manager, add some, you know, talent somehow, some way, I think we will start to see progress. Okay. Well, let's shift to the uh, free agency here. I want to talk with you about that for a minute. You know, you've got a, a pretty significant list of, of UFAs here coming up, some of whom we know will be gone. I mean, Okung, I think that's pretty much a given. Um, Tahir Whitehead carrying a $2.5 million salary this year is gone. Um, and then you're, you're left with, you know, Curtis and Taylor. I mean, that's kind of the decision, the crossroads that I think a lot of the narrative is right now, the decision – they feel like they're going to have to make might come down to one of the two. I don't know if that's necessarily true. Uh, I know there's some cap ramifications next year in terms of that cap number potentially fluctuating. Mike Davis is also a UFA. 
Uh, and then you got guys like Chris Reed who are also playing up and down. So, I mean, if you look at this list, uh, what, what, what are the priority areas right here in terms of retaining who you have? And, uh, I mean, do you feel like it's an either-or with Moten or Samuel right now? Well, I think that Darren Gant article kind of, you know, through, you know, brought some hinted that it's going to be one or the other. And yeah. I think that given the importance of how the offensive line is in the modern NFL and how highly Matt Rule spoke of Moton last week, I, I think Moton will probably be the guy that they end up keeping. Yeah. And he's going to be more expensive. There's no doubt about it. But I think, um, I, I don't know. For me, it's it's going to be tough to replicate. Or um, I would rather just have a an elite right tackle, which I believe, which is what I believe Moton is, as opposed to what Samuel is. And I, I, I have said from day one that Curtis Samuel is the second best wide receiver on this team. Um, I'll let you guys. I, I mean, I, I think that he's better than Robbie Anderson. Now, I'm not going to get into the debate about Samuel versus DJ Moore. Other people can have that. Uh, but I think without question that he's top two. And you, you saw that in the Chicago game where they just could not do anything without him. So I understand it's going to be a tough loss, but I think most likely that's the direction that they would go in. Um, that's just my own prediction. I have no inside sources or anything. No, and, and, and nor do I other than those who, who I talk to on the, on the inside who, who do the reporting. And, uh, you know, I think I've heard this from, from a number of, of, of people who know what they're talking about. I don't disagree with this either with McCaffrey coming back with that gargantuan cap number. Uh, if you let Samuel go, I think you can replicate some of that production he's given you this year in terms of scheming him up in the passing game and obviously in the run game too. That's his bread and butter. So I, I do feel like it's leaning in a direction if they're going to go one or the other, Moten would be the guy now. Would it be a franchise tag? I think we're getting close to that point where it's going to have to be because you still don't have a GM in the building and you're, you're going to have to make some pretty, you know, quick decisions here when it gets to that point. But there, there's also the dynamic of who this GM will be. Um, and, I, and we're going to do a deeper dive, you and I, with, with some, some guests here uh, on our Thursday, Friday show. But uh, just get, give me an idea of a couple of names you have an interest in um, and, and who might be feasible fits for what Mad Rule's looking to do here. Yeah, so a lot of our discussion about free agency, the draft, and other personnel dis, uh, decisions is kind of moot um, until they do hire a new general manager. But is, yeah. uh, they've requested quite a few, and we're, we have a very exciting show coming up this week to yep. uh, get a preview of most, if not all of them. Uh, but the guys who stand out to me the most right now are Brant Tillis of Kansas City, Mm-hmm. And the other guy from Kansas City, I, he's not. He his name is Ryan Poles. Yeah. Um, so we're going to bring on a guest um, who covers the Chiefs. Uh, he's going to give us an idea of what those two guys are. But the reason those two intrigue me, um, I have others who intrigue me. I like Adam Peters of um, the Forty ers Ed Dodds with the Colts, and the the one and Joe Schoen um, of the Buffalo Bills. And then the one guy who really does uh, stand out is Kwesi Adolfo Mensa. Okay. Yeah. Um, I've heard this name and I'm, I'm very intrigued Barry. by his story. Yeah. He's with Andrew Barry in Cleveland and he, um, yeah, he's a Princeton Ivy league grad. Right. Uh, I mean, Andrew Barry was a guy that Dave Tepper really wanted last year. 
so keep an eye on that. But but the two guys in Kansas City intrigue me for a couple of different reasons. The one guy Poles is more of a college scout, um, but he's been with that organization since he was like 23 years old, right, right, in some scouting capacity, and now he's like uh, 35. So he's been there for 12 years, uh, more on the college scouting side of things. Uh, and again, we'll get. I don't want to spoil our show, but uh, the other guy, Brand Tillis from the Chiefs, he's more. He's a guy putting together. Um, a lot of the cap management and in he i mean he's the one who put the uh, gave mahomes a big contract and they were able to re-sign chris jones too um so very interesting those two guys and uh the gentleman from cleveland Quesi adolfo mensa um those three right now would be guys uh i would keep an eye on Um, adam peters again I, i like him a lot uh but with the denver opening you know i i feel like that's where he's gonna go um, that, that that was a late addition to the GM search, the Broncos. Um, you know, Peter's worked under John Elway. He's from the West Coast already. He's, you know, in San Francisco, went to UCLA. Uh, so I figure that he's most likely going to stay there. Um, but yeah, I mean, those it's a pretty encouraging list of names, if yeah, I have is. to say. Uh, uh, and But we're going to have to um, interview, or excuse me, we're going to speak to uh, as many as, uh, you know, people we can to get a better idea, and we'll provide that here on the show. Well, I, a name that you've mentioned before, and we'll, we'll hop off this topic here because I don't want to spoil our show here, is Jeff Ireland. And I, I know a little bit about Jeff here. I know you do too because he's a Parcells guy going back a long way here. Uh, you know, he started as a scout uh, with the Chiefs back in 97. I uh, worked uh, with the, I guess, in the national scout side under the Dave Campo regime early in Dallas. And then when Parcells came in, uh, a couple years later, he he became the VP of College Pro Scouting with Parcells, and then Parcells brought him into Miami, where he drafted Ryan Tannehill, who, to your point, ha- has panned out quite well after a lot of critique. Now, you know, there, there's some concerns about Ireland's personality. He's a little bit of an alpha. I, I get that. He's 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 very direct. He can rub people the wrong way. He said some pretty strange things about Des Bryant that was criticized at one point about his, I think, his mother. Um, the Jonathan Martin stuff was a little bit troubling for a lot of people, but I think he's fascinating because he's went he, to New Orleans in 2015 when that defense, as you know, was absolutely a shambles. And since then, he's been a big part as the assistant GM, college scouting director, getting some of these young infusion of college talent into the draft room and, and, and getting that defense turned around. Would you agree that Jeff has, has really been an instrumental part of getting that defense turned around in New Orleans? I think so, but again, once we get a better idea of, um, you know, from our guests who right. can kind of elaborate a little further, I don't have any type of, in, uh, I don't really know much about the structure of the sure. Saints front office, but I do know that when he came, um, a lot of their draft picks started to hit. So I, I think, yeah, if, if if they were going in the retread direction, I would certainly have him at the top of my list over a guy like Jerry Reese. Uh, so. Uh, yeah, yeah, for me, they have they have their choices. They have their pick of the litter. Let, let's kind of see what they do. Uh, I mean, Dave Tepper, he did kind of lay out what he wants, a data analyst, um, a guy who's very process-oriented and, and uses data a lot. Um, so to me, I mean, y- you want to make sure you follow up on that. You don't want to go into it. Well. Yeah. You know, saying one thing and then hiring someone who's completely you know, but, but here's the thing. We, 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 we heard that last year or two years ago, and 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 he kept Marty around, and I'm not. Hey, maybe he learned from that. Maybe that was just a temporary band aid to get to the next step. I would like to think that's the case. But I, I've said this about 
this entire regime is, is, you know, it's, we're a five win team right now. And it's been an up and down sort of thing in terms of messaging, in terms of some of the decisions they've made has been terrible, but it hasn't been perfect. And you still have a lot of inexperience in this regime on a, on a total scale here in terms of that top level, including the coaching staff and the head coach himself. <clears throat> so I think Matt, uh, I, one thing I'll say about Matt, you talked about grading these guys out. Um, I, 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 if I have to do grades, I'd say maybe B minus for Matt. Um, and, and the reason I would say that is his team was competitive almost every week, as you've mentioned. I thought he was uh, a, a good hire in this regard, that he's coached every position group almost throughout his entire career as a coach. He understands he's not just a sales pitch guy from the college game. <clears throat> he's not a Mac Brown type in terms of high-level CEO. He, he's a in-the-trenches guy and understands the dynamics of every position group. And I think he did a good job, you know, getting a staff together like an Al Holcomb, that was a really good hire, I think, on the defensive side. Getting a guy, former Panthers uh, staffer, who's now helping to coach the linebackers. Um, Joe Brady, I, I think, has done quite well. I, I think I'd, I'd give him a B in terms of his production. Now, the play-calling elements are different than the production. Uh, he has Teddy Bridgewater attached to him. So, you know, if you're going to grade the entire package as a coordinator, maybe situationally some of the things he's done that has been off the mark in terms of the quarterback he trusted to run this offense, um, I, I'd knock that grade down. Phil Snow, let's go with a C on that because I think that they, I mean, when you don't force punts for like two straight games, you got to ding the grade a little bit. But I think given the talent he had to work with, it was a pretty good job. But, yeah, I'm fascinated to see the dynamic because, it, you know, there, there's a personality angle to this too. I, I think from people I've talked to and what I understand about Matt Rule, he's very much an alpha and he very much wants to be, and most coaches are, we know that, but he wants it to be a collaborative effort. And I'm curious to see – what it's not just about analytics and, and numbers and, and what type of guy you're getting from a stylistic standpoint, but also the personality. What can they do to work together in terms of their personalities? Would a, would a Jeff Ireland clash with Matt Rule in terms of the power structure? So they've got to be careful about making sure they get the right guy that will work in harmony with Matt. And then the next question would be how much power and, and say, does Matt have in all this? And, and we'll just have to see Matt insists he wants to coach and that's it. But uh, you can't believe everything a coach says, as you know. Huh. Yeah, no, it's it's going to be interesting. Let's, uh, um, I, I we will judge them properly once they make the hire. It's too soon for me to uh, get upset right now about some of the names. But again, most, if not all, the names are encouraging. Uh, but at the end of the day, if you're going to do an interview with the press and you're going to say you want these things. Let's see you follow that up with hiring a strong candidate. Um, do you think, I guess we're going to go back here a little bit here before we wrap things up and just one, one more note about the, the Bridgewater deal. Hindsight is twenty twenty, and I know you don't always like this exercise, but I'm going to put you on the spot anyway. Did, do you feel that contract w was necessary? Do you feel they could have gone one year with him, or do you think they had to give him the two, three years to, to lock him up? I mean, I'm sure they probably could have done two years yeah. instead of three. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, it is what it is at this point. The GM who supposedly executed that deal was gone, so. Right. Do you, do you, do you feel like it was a mistake in hindsight going that deep um, in the contract? I don't know. It's a tough question because, yeah. I mean, you're looking at the, other, the alternatives and it's not great either. That's true. Uh, so, 
I don't know. I'm sorry. I can't really answer. It's tough. I, mean, to I guess answer. what I, I guess I can say, did, did he meet your expectations this year? What, what Absolutely not. No. Okay. Yeah. So that's he, my definitely biggest he definitely didn't meet my expectations. I expected a little better from him. Yeah. Um, but I think if we're doing the hindsight, if we should have given that contract, my question is what's the alternative. And right. if the alternative is training draft picks and giving a, extension of Nick Foles, then my answer is no. Right. That, um, obviously, that, that was a stupid. I mean, we, we know Cam Newton was going. What, we, we don't have to say it's either Cam or Teddy. I'm just looking at the other no. the landscape of other opportunities. Yeah, you know, you know Cam, Cam Justin Hale, Herbert, I guess. You could yeah, look Justin, back in hindsight. Justin, you know, hey, look, Justin has exceeded my expectations. You know, we saw him. Everyone's pretty early. Much. Yeah, just much like Josh Allen in this in this third year now has, has done the same for many. Justin on a, on a shorter scale here. With uh, with some really bad coaching by Anthony Lynn, who was let go of today, uh, sort of carried that team in a lot of ways with his with his arm. He posted a um, a cut up earlier of some of his throws. My goodness, Billy, just what a what an assertive arm he has. It's so wise, so fun to watch that guy throw the pill, man. Yeah, he throws with touch too. He really does, and that's I think you know you you can't they don't grow on trees. I mean, just <laughs> Parcells once said you can't just dial one eight hundred get a quarterback. That's when he had Quincy Carter that year. So I mean, you know, obviously uh, he he got himself into a Tony Romo situation, and that was a good run for Tony with Bill and then Wade and then with Jason. But yeah, the, the quarterbacks that can throw balls like Herbert, you know, and execute don't grow on trees. Um, We'll talk draft later. I think it's a little premature. I, 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 I'm not ready to, to put grades on these guys. I, I, I like Lawrence a lot. I think everybody does. I know you like Zach Wilson a lot. Justin Fields lit it up, but I think there's still some concerns about his ability to be the complete passer in terms of scanning the field and uh, doing all that. And then you Those receivers, watch the All-22 or watch the game again. Yeah. Those cl- – Ohio State receivers were wide open. They, were wide. they weren't. I have never seen the Venables defense just Venables, completely like collapse. We were, you know, we were talking on my, my iHeart radio. We do uh, the Clemson pre and post game, and we were talking about it with uh, some of the Clemson folks, and we it was they were stunned at, at, at how inefficient that uh, Clemson defense was in terms of covering the deep ball. And I think to credit Fields, you know, he was a gamer there, but. Having Nolan Turner out early in that game, he's a key safety. That was a, a blow. And then Skalski gets thrown out with the targeting, and that hurt them in terms of some of the other parts of the field. But, I mean, it was a very impressive performance. But to me, I, I know you might share this opinion. I'm not quite ready to do the draft stuff yet. I'm just not there yet. Yeah, I know. I mean, we have plenty of time to do that, I'm plenty sure. Plenty of time. We'll get a senior bowl preview. We'll do a senior bowl preview in a couple of weeks with someone. But, yeah, it's going to be a very exciting and interesting offseason, beginning with this GM search. And I saw you posted it, uh, Matt. Hopefully, we'll, we'll get a chance. There's some speculation. He'll, he and his staff will get to coach the senior bowl. I think that would be a great opportunity since he's a, a former college coach. He gets that culture and he understands it. Plus, it gives him a, a great opportunity to be right there front and center. And then it's, it's more coaching, which he needs. Um, uh, I guess we'll kind of wrap it at there, Bill. Any final thoughts on what we saw yesterday and uh, what we're looking at moving forward here? Uh, no, nothing from my end. I just want to say thank you to everyone for following along with us throughout the season. And again, you know, John and I are, we have big plans this off season. So uh, and with the NFL, it never stops. And you can see it right now at the Panthers. We have a GM search and we got the senior bowl. Then we got the combine and free agency and the draft. So we'll still be pumping 
out content every other every week. We will be here every week. Uh, how many shows? We don't know yet, but at, at least once a week, maybe two, maybe more. We never know, depending on what we do. And I think we'll, we'll be getting a hold of not only some guests coming over Thursday for uh, some analysis on the GM side, but throughout the season, we'll like to talk to some of our beat writers and local reporters who have a real good pulse on what's going on, as well as some national guys who – uh, have a sense of what's going on too. So we'll be uh, spitting out the guest and the analysis and uh, follow Billy on Twitter, follow me on Twitter, and then we'll keep pumping out the content for you. Good talk, man. We'll see you next time for uh, Billy Marshall, John Ellis. Thanks for listening to The Roar on Blue Wire. Take care. See you on Friday.